Thanks for joining us for the Covenant Living Broadcast with Pastor John Butler of Covenant Life Church, located at 130 Atlantic Avenue in Bremen, Georgia. On today's broadcast, Pastor John continues in the series entitled Foundation of Our Faith. Today's subtitle is Obeying the Word. And now, here is Pastor John. Well, not unlike the, the people that, the, that God was speaking to through the prophet Isaiah, we have a society of people intent on creating a God in their own image. And, and it's perfectly fine if that God is an idol. The problem comes when people try to ascribe to God the attributes that they wished He possessed. They try to spin God's opinions, try to soften His personality. They make claims on His behalf that He never said, and they accept things that He has always rejected. They call good evil and evil good. You see, the problem is, it is the prerogative of God to speak for Himself, to define Himself, to be Himself. He does not answer to anybody else. He does not need our defending. He does not need our correcting. He doesn't need our softening. He doesn't need our marketing or our spinning. He is God all by Himself. And he's taken everything that we can handle about himself, and he's written it down in a book called the Bible. You say, John, is it everything about God? No, it's not, not even close to everything about God. But it's everything we can handle, and it's everything we need to get us from where we are to our next destination. It's every, this book is everything we need to be able to understand enough about God to obey his will and to get us to, to eternity with him. See, there is an attack on Christianity in our country. And it's not coming from people because they say happy holidays instead of Merry Christmas. And it's not because the coach can't pray before the football game anymore. There is an attack on the Word of God and sound doctrine. And the problem is, too many people who call themselves Christians are so uninformed and uncommitted to the truth that they never even raise an eyebrow. The attacks are more and more blatant and more and more blasphemous. But, but we're so busy, it never even gets on our radar. And it's bad enough in the pulpits. But there are attacks coming from society and from media, and it's just and people just are not even not even concerned. Let me give you two examples from popular culture. Ariana Grande is one of the most one of the most popular artists in the world right now. She released a song on her last album that's called "God Is a Woman." God is a woman. That's the name of the song. The, the official music video has been viewed 218 million times on YouTube. And the song is pure heresy. It's pure heresy. And before you shake your head because of the style of music that Ariana Grande sings, it, the, the country group Little Big Town just released, one of whom went to a Pentecostal university to college, they just released a song, debuted it this week. It's called The Daughters. Here's the chorus. And pose like a trophy on a shelf. Dream for everyone but not yourself. I've heard of God the Son and God the Father. I'm still looking for a God for the daughters. Going out on country radio everywhere right now. 
See, you can do whatever you want with a God that you created for yourself out of a piece of wood. But you cannot redefine the God who created all things. An idol does, can, can't defend himself, but God can and God will. Amen. See, society is trying to redefine God right before our eyes, but he has already defined himself in his word. Jesus is the embodiment of this word. He is the cornerstone. And Luke 20 says you either fall on that stone and repent, or it falls on you and crushes you. But either way, God is the great I am. He is self-defining. And if you don't like God defining himself as the heavenly father, then you just have to get over it because that's who he is. It's who he is. One day, Ariana Grande will stand before God and realize God is not a woman. He is the everlasting father and the prince of peace, not the princess of peace. And see, on earth he was the lover of her soul, but one day she will stand before the judge that determines her eternal destiny. And so will we. Little Big Town could have made the choice to proclaim the truth that they've been taught about God and show these daughters that there is a real God who created them and loves them and honors them and gifts them and anoints them for his service. But instead they've chosen to pervert the truth of the word and spread a false message of despair for women because it sells records. Look at Galatians chapter 3 verse 28. There is no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. He is the God of men and of women, of sons and daughters, every tribe, every tongue, and every language. He is the God for everybody. But if you don't read the Word and you don't get to know Him, how are you ever going to know that? If you depend upon your American idols, if you depend upon Hollywood and movies and popular culture, if you, if you depend upon television evangelists to get your, or, or your local pastors, but you never open the word to see it for yourself, how are you going to know that you're not being deceived? This is why this series that we've been in, and I'm concluding it today, it's so important. It's called the foundation of our faith. See, if we continue to just swallow what the world's feeding us, before long we'll have no appetite for the truth. And we'll stumble blindly into eternity. And we'll be surprised by who we find waiting for us on the throne. We will continue to search for meaning and purpose, but never find anything that lasts beyond ourselves. We'll watch our country's morals continue to spiral out of control because there's no voice of objective truth. This word is the foundation of our faith. And we can't treat it lightly. We have to understand it for what it is because it teaches us who God is. And there is nothing more important than our understanding of who God is. Now in the first message we looked at the fulfilled prophecies as evidence that the Bible can be believed. In the second message we discover that the Bible was transmitted by God, transcribed through the ages, and translated accurately so that we could understand God. 
and understand what he was trying to communicate to us. It can be trusted. If you missed any of those, either of those messages, I want to encourage you to go to either go to our YouTube channel and watch them or go to the podcast, either on Apple or Google, and and it's on Spotify now as well. So go to those sources, catch up on these messages because they were designed to stand alone, but when you use them together, they build on each other to build a transcendent truth. Now today is the third and last of those messages, and I I want us to talk about um, the most important aspect of this series. So we did believing the truth and uh, believing the word and trusting the word uh, today is obeying the word, obeying the word. And I want you to see this in James one chapter 20, uh, chapter one, verse 22. I'm going to read through 25, but don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you're just fooling yourselves. For if you listen to the word and don't obey, it's like glancing at your face in a mirror. You see yourself, walk away, and forget what you look like. But if you look carefully into the perfect law that sets you free, and if you do what God says and don't forget what you heard, then God will bless you for doing it. Listen, the worst form of lying is lying to yourself. Self-deception. That's what God says you're doing when you hear the Word of God, but you don't do it. You see, there are people who say they believe the Word. They believe the Bible is the Word of God. There are people who say they trust that the Bible reveals the truth, but there's no evidence of the truth impacting their lives or their decisions or their attitudes. They're exactly the same as they've always been. They're living their lives just like everybody else in the culture. Listen, believing the Word and trusting the Word does you no good if you don't obey the word. You can put a fish on your car. You can wear the bracelets. You can wear the necklaces. You can do all of the stuff. You can dress yourself in the leaves of Christianity. But if there is no fruit, then you need to check the root and make sure it's on the word of God. So today we're going to look at three reasons that you should obey the word. Obey the Word. Here's the first thing. Because it's inspired. It's inspired. 2 Timothy chapter 3. All Scripture is inspired by God, and it's useful to teach us what's true and to make us realize what's wrong in our lives. Not their lives. It's personal. That's a personal pronoun our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what's right. God uses it to prepare and equip His people to do every good work. The Word of God, the word inspired means God breathed. God breathed. So that verse would read, all Scripture is breathed by God. It's breathed by God. Think about that. The Bible had its source from deep inside of God Himself. It's an expression of the depths of God. 
I've heard people say, well, don't you get tired of, of reading the Bible? Don't you get tired of studying the Bible? It's just so boring. It's so old. How could it ever mean anything to us? So, first of all, no, I don't get tired of reading the Bible. And second of all, yes, it does mean something to us today because it's still alive. It's still, it's, it's complete, but it's still alive. See, one of the words for, for, for spirit, for, for spirit is breath. It's breath. It is the breath of God. It's the breath of God. And if this is the breath of God, then the Bible is, is the spirit of God. And the spirit of God is still alive and well on planet earth. The Bible, Jesus is the Word of God. So this Bible is as alive and well as Jesus is. So the Bible is just as alive and and just as active and just as powerful as it was when God inspired the people to write it. This Bible is the very breath of God Himself. It can never lose life because it is life. It can't be dead. It's life. So we, we should obey the Word because it's inspired. So John, how did, how did that happen? Second Peter addresses how the inspiration happened. Second Peter verse, uh, chapter 1, uh, he said, Above all, you must realize no prophecy in Scripture ever came from the prophet's own understanding. So nobody just sat down and said, I believe I'm going to write the Bible. Or from human initiative... No, those prophets were moved by the Holy Spirit and they spoke from God. God moved on the writers of the Bible to write exactly what He wanted them to write. How do you know it was God who spoke? How do you know that it was God who authored the Bible? Well, here's one major way. The Bible has 66 books in it. It's been divided in different ways down through the years, but 66 books written by 40 different people. Forty different people. Some of those, uh, some of those people who penned books of the Bible were priests or educated in religious schools. Others were farmers and fishermen. You take forty random authors from across eighteen hundred years, which is which is the span in which the Bible was written. You take forty random authors from across eighteen hundred years, and you see if their writings form any sort of sense at all when you put them together. See if their writings don't contradict each other. These 40 men wrote one cohesive narrative that never contradicts each other, never contradicts itself, and never been proven false. It's it's the best-selling book of all time. It has changed the course of history. There is no doubt in my mind that this is the inspired Word of God straight from the throne. So listen, if it's inspired, then it is divine communication. It's divine communication. It is a window into the heart of God. A window that He wants us to see through. So why should we obey the Word? Because it's inspired. It's divine communication. Here's the the second thing. It is inerrant. It's inerrant. That means without error. And we'll show it to you in, in Psalm 12. These are just a, couple of, just a couple of examples. Psalm 12 and 6. The Lord's promises are pure, like silver refined in a furnace, purified seven times over there. It's pure without error. Look at Psalm 19 and 7. The instructions of the Lord are perfect, 
reviving the soul. The decrees of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The Word of God has to be obeyed because it's not only inspired, but it's inerrant. It does not contain errors. It is perfect. It is flawless. This means that every word, when it was given by God, through the Holy Spirit, to the authors, was written down perfectly. It was what it was supposed to be. Have there been accidental errors in, tra- in, in transcription over the years? A, a few. A few. That's why it's important that we use multiple copies and as old as possible. We talked about that a couple of, a couple of messages ago or a couple of weeks ago. Because, but but it's, it's important that we get as close to the original text as possible because we believe God inspired it exactly as He intended it to be, intended it to be written and that the authors wrote it down correctly. But it makes sense that it's inerrant and perfect, doesn't it? Because God is without fault and without flaw. Right? Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. God can't make a mistake because He's perfect. We sing about it all the time, Tomlin song. He's perfect in all of His ways. Right? He couldn't inspire falsehood or inaccuracy. It, it would be against His nature. If the, wor- if the Word is the breath of God, and it is, then it stands to reason that even the breath of a perfect God is perfect. So we believe that every word of the Bible was written exactly, it was, it was written exactly the way God wanted it to be written in that moment in time. I want you to look at Galatians chapter 3 and verse 16. You say, John, I don't know, I think maybe the big picture is what God wanted, but I think that they just kind of figured out what words they wanted to use. Well, look at this. God gave the promises to Abraham and his child. And notice that Scripture doesn't say to his children as if it meant many descendants. Rather, it says to his child, and that, of course, means Christ. Paul, who wrote this this letter to the Galatians, Paul drilled down on the tense and the number of the verb that was used a thousand years before in order to find a spiritual truth. That's because he knew that every word was written exactly as God wanted it to be. That's why we break down the words. That's why preachers talk about, look at the original languages, Greek and Hebrew and Aramaic. It's not because they want to sound smart. It's because the intention of God was communicated in those languages, and it's important that we get it right, that we understand what it actually says and not what we wish it said, or not what we think it might say, but to drill down and find out what thus saith the Lord. Now let me clarify something here. Don't confuse inerrancy with, don't confuse inerrant with literal. Okay? We don't believe in a literal translation of the Bible. Why not? Because not everything was intended to be taken literally. Some things are poetic expressions. Some things are prophetic symbolism. We talked just a few weeks ago about the the bear and the leopard. Those those kingdoms were not bears or leopards. It wasn't a kingdom of animals. Those were symbolic, prophetic expressions. And and some things are exaggerated to make a point. Right? For, For example, Jesus said, if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. Just dig that baby right on out of there. If we believed in a literal interpretation of the Bible, y'all would all be blind. And I wouldn't be able to see you to know that. 
We don't believe that it should be understood literally. We believe it should be understood accurately the way He intended it. That God had an, had an intended purpose for inspiring what He inspired. And we should sincerely search for that meaning. So if it's inspired, then it's divine communication. If it's inerrant, then it's true communication. And here's, here's one last thing. We, we should obey the Word because it's immutable. It's inspired, it's inerrant, and it's immutable. And I'll tell you what that means in just a second. Malachi chapter 3, verse 6, it says, I am the Lord and I do not change. I don't change. Some people are one way in church and another way at home, another way at work. That ain't the God we serve. That ain't the God we serve. He's, the Lord. he's, he's, he's God all over the place. God all the time. Look at, at James 1 and 17 in the New Testament. Whatever's good and perfect comes down to us from God our Father who created all the lights in the heaven. He never changes or casts a shifting shadow. Listen, if you shine a light through us and then you turn us a different direction, we're going to have faults, we're going to have flaws that are going to cast shadows on, on the light that shines through what's going to, because it highlights the flaws. There's no flaws in Jesus. There's no flaws in the Lord. He's, he, he doesn't change. He doesn't change. Immutable means unchangeable. The Word of God is unchangeable. You think of the word mutation. As something mutates, it changes. It becomes something else. That doesn't happen to God. That doesn't happen to the Word. The Word has to be immutable because God never changes. Hebrews says that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. It is, it is the opposite of the shifting sands of life. This Word is the solid rock upon which you can build your life. If it was true then, it's true now. If it was a sin then, it's a sin now. That's why the true church will always run counter to the culture. Culture changes constantly. You can't figure out what's cool, right? Because by, by the time you figure out what's cool, it's not cool anymore. It changes constantly. The, the, the values, the morals, the beliefs, they're constantly evolving. They encourage people to speak their truth. If I hear one more person say, would you just, just speak your truth, I'm going to throw up. There is only one truth, and the truth is a person, the person of Jesus Christ, and He never changes because He's already perfect. There's no way to, why would you want to change? He's perfect. There's no way to improve upon perfection, so there's no need for Him to change. Some of you men have been telling your wives that for decades. And because Jesus is the living embodiment of this Word, the Bible is unchangeable. It is immutable. And that will always rub an ever-changing culture the wrong way. So, so God can't be a woman because He revealed Himself as a man. And that can't change. So we can't accept homosexuality as an alternative lifestyle because God, because God said it falls outside of the context of appropriate sexual expression, which he defined as between a, a man and a woman married to each other. And we can't condone heterosexuals engaging in sex outside of that context between one man married to one woman. 
And we can't condone getting drunk and partying because the Bible is very clear about that kind of behavior as sinful and destructive. And we can stand here all day and talk about the, the standards of God. And, and you can debate whether you like it or not, but if it says it in the Word, you just have to figure out what you're going to do about it. Because, see, if you're writing the book, you can put whatever you want to in the book, and you can edit it whenever you want to. But if you check right in front of the table of contents, none of our names are in the book. So we don't get to change it. We don't get to change it. When you understand that the Bible was written by God himself and that he doesn't change, you understand why it can't change. And you realize that you don't get to change the truth simply because it's no longer socially or politically acceptable. If you didn't write it, you don't get to change it. So let's, let's put this all together now. This is the whole reason, this, this is where the whole series came from, alright? So this is it. So if you hadn't listened in the last three weeks, listen for the next two minutes. If, if this book is inspired, then it's divine communication. If it's inerrant, then it's true communication. If it's immutable, then it's dependable communication. So if it's the true dependable, divine communication of God, then it is not optional. Amen. It's not optional. If the Bible is what it says it is, and I think I've given you plenty of reasons in the last three messages to believe that it is, then why don't we obey it? You can't claim to follow Jesus but ignore His Word. That's just not a thing. If you don't believe and trust and obey the Bible, then you're not following the God of the Bible. You have created a God in your own image and you may have named him Jesus and you may have dressed him up like the one true God, but it's just a cheap imitation. I've heard people say, well, my God wouldn't do this, or my God wouldn't do that. If you really believe in an all-powerful, self-sustaining, eternal God, then our job is not to define Him, it's to get to know Him and to understand Him. How do you know your God wouldn't do that if you haven't read the book? What would you think of somebody if they said, well, my George Washington would never own slaves? You're George Washington? My, my, my John F. Kennedy would never be unfaithful to Jackie O. Well, listen, you don't get to create your own version of people. They lived. They did what they did. They were the people they were. It's not open for discussion. You don't have to like it. But if you deny that it happened, you're crazy. See, it doesn't matter what your God would do or wouldn't do. The question is, did the one true God do it or say it? He wrote it down for us. If he did, it's on us to find out what that was all about. It's comprehension, not definition. We don't get to describe the God we want and then go out and find it. 
We, we don't get to decide that our daughters need a God and then run out and find that God. We have to discover the God who is and always has been and follow Him and serve Him and begin to understand Him to the extent that our limited minds can. You see, our eternity is defined and outlined in this book. Don't you want to know what's going to happen? You say, John, I just don't agree with some of the stuff in that book. It doesn't matter if you agree with it. It's still the truth. Your acceptance or denial of reality doesn't affect reality. You can deny gravity all you want to, but if you climb on the roof and step off, you're going down. The truth has an effect on you whether you want to believe it or not. And one day, all of us will stand before a holy God and give an account for everything that we've done and said on this earth, whether we want to or not. This matters. It matters. I know not everybody was excited when I told you we were going to do a series about the Bible. Yay! This matters every day and for eternity. Let me help you see why I'm so passionate about this if you haven't seen it already. This is John 15. Now listen, I'm going to go backwards. Okay? I'm going to go backwards. I'm starting in John 15. I'm going to wind up in John 14. Calm down, you OCD people. It will be our, these are still the words of God, no matter which order you read them in. This is, these are written in red. The last night of Jesus' life on this earth, John 15, when you obey, he's talking to his disciples on the way to the Garden of Gethsemane, okay? When you obey my commandments, you remain in my love. Just as I obey my Father's commandments and remain in His love. Let me read that again. When you obey my commandments, you remain in my love. Did y'all get that? Let's look at verse 6. Four verses before. Anyone who does not remain in me is thrown away like a useless branch and withers. Such branches are gathered into a pile to be burned. Didn't He just tell us how to remain in His love? What did he say? Do is when you do my commandments, you remain in my love. If you don't remain in, in, in me, you don't remain in my love, you're thrown away like a useless branch and wither. All right? Now, let's look at chapter 14, verses 23 and 24. Jesus replied, All who love me will do what I say. My Father will love them. We'll come and make our home with each of them. Anyone who does not love me will not obey me. And remembers my, remember, my words are not my own. I'm telling you, what I'm telling you is from the Father who sent me. If you don't know what the Word says, how are you going to obey His commandments? If you're not obeying His commandments, Jesus said you don't love Him. I didn't say that. Jesus said that. And if, you're lo- if your life demonstrates that you don't love Jesus, then are you sure of your salvation? Salvation is not about a feeling. Because you get lots of feelings all day. 
And the prophet said, your heart is deceitful above all things. So your feelings will fool your heart. But there are spiritual facts. And the fact is, when you surrender your heart to the Lord, old things pass away. All things become new. You are born again. You are a new creation. So if you came to an altar or you signed a card or you shook a hand or you joined a church or you did whatever you did and nothing changed, then you didn't meet Jesus. And you, and, or if you met Him, you didn't surrender to Him. You abide in Him. It's a lifelong relationship. It's not a one-time meet and greet. It's a lifelong relationship of repentance and surrender to Him as, as the one true God. He's, the one, he's Him. He's it. He's, that's it. What He says is what you do. You don't have to like it. You just have to figure it out. You just have to deal with it. You say, but John, I... I I can't be perfect. I mess up. Of course you do. All of us do. And God's in 1 John, He said, little children, that's, that's the children of God, little children, don't sin. But if you do, you've got an, you have an advocate with the Father. You can come to Him. You can receive forgiveness when you repent. But the standard was don't sin. Throughout the book, it talks about those who are in relationship with Jesus have changed. You put off the old man. You put on the new man. I don't know. I've been so anxious to get to this pulpit all week long. This is important for somebody. This is eternity for somebody. If you're a member of this church, I'm so glad you're a member of this church. If you come every week, I am so blessed by your attendance. But I'm not the one on the throne. You're not going to stand before me. I don't get to testify how faithful you were or how nice you are or how much you give or how much you serve. You're going to stand before God. And He knows. He knows what you did with His Word. He knows what you did in your life and in your heart. So no, you're not going to be perfect. But are you even trying? How can you say you love somebody? How can you say you're in covenant with somebody and not even care what they think or how they feel or what they want? When I said I do to that woman down there 28 years ago, my life changed. My behavior changed. My attitudes changed. My decisions changed. Because we're in covenant. And if your covenant doesn't bring change, it ain't much of a covenant. And she's a great woman, but she's not the perfect Lamb of God with whom I am also in covenant. And if I can be in covenant with a, with a woman and my life change, but I can be in covenant with the Lamb of God and my life doesn't change, there's a problem. There's a problem. 
And you say, John, I'm so sick of coming in this church and every week you tell us some one more thing or four more things that we're not doing right. I just wish somebody would make me feel better. I just wish somebody would tell me something to bring me some joy. (laughs) I just did. Living according to this word is what brings you joy. It's what brings you peace. It's what brings you to exactly where you've always wanted to be but never knew how to get there. Because you're not the only one that's going to stand before God. So am I. And I'm not going to give an account for the truth that I didn't share with you. This book was not sent to us down through the ages to make us happy. It wasn't sent to make us rich. It wasn't sent to make us popular. It was sent to bring us into the right relationship with God according to His Word and through His Son. What's in this Word matters. It's the foundation of our faith. Jeff, would you come on, man? Let me explain it this way. Every country has its own legal system. It doesn't matter if you agree with it or if you believe in it or if you voted for it. Your guilt and your, or your innocence will be determined by the law of that nation. God has a law, too. He has principles. There's a divine judicial system that every one of us will get processed through. But listen, it's not a mystery. He wrote it in the book. And he's already assigned us an attorney who will show us not how to get justice, but how to get mercy. The attorney is Jesus. And he's already paid your penalty. It's not a question of whether you're guilty or innocent. You're guilty. You're guilty. All of us are. So it's not a question of guilt or innocence. It's the fact that Jesus already paid the price. All you have to do is throw yourself on the mercy of the court and surrender yourself to Jesus. As outlined in this book. See, we can refuse to be represented by that attorney. You heard of people want to represent themselves, right? But no other attorney has ever won in God's courtroom. Only Jesus. You can talk about the legal system where you came from. You can talk about what you think should happen. You can defend yourself with your truth if you want to. You can say you didn't know, but it's just not true. Because I just told you the truth. question is, what are you going to do about it? We pray that you have been blessed and inspired by today's Covenant Living broadcast. To find out more information about our ministry, just visit our website at www.covenantlifewestga.org. You can find this video there on our homepage. Just click the YouTube button and make sure you subscribe to our YouTube channel. Give us a call at 770-537-3747. That's 770-537-3747. 
At Covenant Life, our mission is to go and make disciples by being real, relational, and reaching. Be sure to join us next week for more Covenant Living with Pastor John Butler.